Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Those of you that this is being recorded and be broadcast on our radio programs, I'm blessed to be here in beautiful Blue Ridge, Georgia, at Crossover Community Church, a church that loves each other and loves the Lord with all of their heart. But I'm also blessed because I'm here on the 4th of July weekend, and it gives me an opportunity to remind all of us that this weekend is a special weekend that we do need to go back and remember this weekend is not just about hot dogs and swimming and barbecues and sparklers and fireworks. It is that, and you'll hear that in a quote I'm going to give you in a moment, but it is much more than that. It's to remind us that of all the countries in the world, that this country was founded upon a biblical basis, meaning our Constitution, and that we are a very unique country. And that we're celebrating the birth of this country that really became probably one of the greatest missionary training and sending countries in all the world for all the time because of the freedoms that our founding fathers had given to us. So what I'm going to do in a few moments is I'm going to take and draw a parallel between our patriots who pledged allegiance to our country by framing of the Constitution and then being willing to die for its truths and provide us a country in which we live now, along with the patriots of Christianity and you and me who really should not pledge allegiance to our country as much as we should pledge allegiance to the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But the parallels are quite striking if it's done correct. And so I think correctly it was done by our patriots of our founding fathers. And so I'd like to bring out three principles that happens that made our country great. Now, they're not horribly spiritual, but they're very practical. But in these three principles is embedded the biblicalness of it in the response that our Christian patriots did as we now pledge allegiance to the Lamb. So maybe at the end of today's message, there'll be perhaps a couple of take-home points. I want to prepare you for them so that you know where we're going as we're going on this journey together. One of it is to celebrate our great country and the freedoms that we have and to do what we can to continue to preserve them for the purpose of not having a better life, but so that we can still be a missionary training and sending country and do it freely like we have. All right, I, I would hope that that would be the case. And for you young people that are here, I want you to know I am so thrilled and honored that you are here. And so today, I hope you would engage in this message to see why your mom and dad will fly that flag and sing those grand old patriotic songs because they are wanting to do all that they can to hand you a country that you now can take and even make better. The second take-home point is that at the end of this, I pray that all of us would take one greater step forward in our own full consecration and the commitment to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, that phrase is captured for Christians. The third I'd like you to take home is that together as Christians now, that we would want to take that message of pledge allegiance to the Lamb to everyone in our family, in our community, in our state, our country, and the world, so that we walk out of here not just informed, not even inspired, but transformed by this message. And that's where I'm going. And I pray that God will honor that today. Let's pray, shall we? 
Father, I humbly stand before these people, but I'm really on my knees before you in my heart. For Father, I pray that this message will be one upon which you will smile and empower. And that Father will resonate within our heart that we will leave here differently than when we came. And that we will be willing to make the changes from the inside out. So that today's time together will be so transformational for your glory. I pray for the one that would be listening to my voice today who has not yet received the full assurance of salvation being by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. This would be their day that they could leave here trusting you as their Savior and then pledging allegiance to you for the rest of their life. Now, Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I begin, I'd like to give you a couple of quotes from some of our founding fathers that may be very familiar to you all, but it's to set the groundwork as I begin to go into these parallels, just to show you once again that we are really, as a country, rooted upon biblical principles. Years ago, when I was pastoring in San Antonio, I did a seminar called The Biblical Basis of the Constitution, and I brought in a constitutionalist who happened to be the mayor of San Antonio at the time. I asked him if he would just speak 20 minutes because he was so good on the Constitution. He came and he said that he was supposed to speak at Harvard the next day, but he decided to cancel that even though he was invited because he was so impassioned by the very topic that I gave him that he then spent two hours of his 20 minutes proving to us that our Constitution was based upon the Bible. Now, I wish I had the time to unpack that, but I want to assure you that as you go through the training of our Constitution... While our Constitution doesn't have chapter and verse, while our Constitution is not the 67th book of the Bible, I do want you to know that it is founded upon that Judeo-Christian ethic and how important it is. Here are two quotes that might impact you like they did me when I heard them again. The first one is by Patrick Henry, and here's what he said. He said, It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians, not on religion, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I've been preaching a long time, and I've been teaching a long time, and especially we have to go through often these times on patriotic messages, so you can only imagine how many books and how many quotes that I have read. They are good, all of them good. Past presidents, people who are involved in writing the Constitution, you'll hear some today. This quote, in my opinion, is probably the greatest quote of all of them because it sets clearly what was in the minds of these framers of our Constitution and what they wanted for us. Another quote is oddly by Thomas Jefferson. He was president and he was addressing the Danbury Baptist at the time. A snapshot of his message gave this one paragraph that was astounding to me and it goes like this. The First Amendment was created, excuse me, the First Amendment has created a wall of separation between church and state. But that wall is a one-directional wall. It keeps the government from running the church. But it makes sure that Christian principles will always stay in government. Now, it's odd that we see a lot of the revisionists now changing what our founding fathers meant or said, like they're even now trying to reinterpret the United States Constitution. And now we have a lot of the mess we have today. But if they would only go back and to hear the heartbeat of these men, and I believe women, who literally not only wrote this stuff, but gave their lives, they would understand why we Christians are so passionate about America and our beliefs today. 
Well, let me begin now by drawing the parallel between the patriots of our founding fathers and their allegiance to the country and the patriots of Christians who pledge their allegiance to the Lamb. So I'm going to go through the whole list for the country, then I'll repeat it by going through the list for the Christians. First of all, the patriots made what I call a bold declaration. That's why they called it the declaration of what, everyone? Independence. It was a bold declaration. For more than 14 months after the Battle of Lexington and Concord on April 19, 1775, the Patriots fought not for their independence, but rather, watch this, I love it, for their rights within the British Empire. What was happening, the British Empire gave them rights, and then they began, the Empire, to take away those rights. And all they were doing at the beginning of all of this was all they wanted was the rights they were initially given to start with. That now the game was changed. The rules were changed. And it ended up finally to say, if we're not going to get those rights back, then we don't want you any longer. And we have what we have today. You've all heard, I'm certain, of Patrick Henry and the famous declaration that he made. Give me liberty, give me that, that, that. Do you understand the context in which it was stated? Most people don't take the time or had the time written, given to them to hear it in the proper context. Would you give me a moment to read a larger portion of that speech in which that famous statement was made? Here's how it goes. Three million people armed in the holy cause of liberty, Patrick Henry said, and in such a country as that which we possess are invincible by any force which our enemy can send against us. Besides, sir, we shall not fight our battles alone. There is a just God who presides over the destiny of nations. We ought to remember that. And who will raise up friends to fight our battle for us. Battle, sir, is not to the strong alone. It is to the vigilant, the active, the brave. Because, sir, it is now too late to retire from this context. There is no retreat but in submission and slavery. Our chains are already forged. Their clanking may be heard on the plains of Boston. The war is inevitable. And let it come. I repeat, let it come. It is in vain, sir, to extenuate the matter. Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. Quoting from scripture. The war has actually begun. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here in this meeting idle? What is it that gentlemen wish? What would they have? Is life so dear or peace so sweet has to be purchased at the price of being back in chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or what? Give me death. Now that to me is a bold declaration that he made in firing up the country and more people to join the troops. Well, as bold as that was, let me take you now to the end of this whole thing. Two days later on July 4th, another man stood up. His name was John Adams. He was a member of the drafting committee, and he was so excited that they voted for this independence on July 2nd that he wrote his sweet wife, who was back home in Massachusetts, this letter. And here's just one paragraph from it. I love it. The 2nd of July, 1776, will be the most memorable day in the history of America. I believe it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary 
festival of shows and games and sports and balls and bonfires and illuminations like sparklers from one end of the country to the other from this time forward and forevermore. Well, he had the date wrong. I get that and you do too. But he didn't get that bold declaration wrong. How many of you either tonight or last night or for sure tomorrow will take time out of your schedule and it'll be so different than other days as you do what we do on the 4th of July and my prayer as yours would be too that we would remember that we are celebrating this because of the great sovereign God that gave us this country through those patriots who are willing to make that bold declaration. Now let me remind you though as we go to the second principle in all of this bold declarations of anyone do not make a country. We can write all that we want to write. We can say all that we want to say. We can even make all the vows we want to make. But that doesn't make it. What makes it is the second. And as if these patriots paid a high, high price for that declaration. Put a star by that one if you're taking notes. I appreciate the declarations that they made. And I get what they say in Hawaii. Chicken skin like goosebumps. But I want you to remember that it, the price to fulfill that declaration was astronomical. After the Americans declared their independence, they had to win it by force. They were a ragamuffin group of what we might call citizen patriots against an army with thousands of well-trained, well-seasoned, well-groomed soldiers from Britain who had now come against them this ragamuffin group of guys and wives and family with their sacrifice to make it happen. But here's the interesting thing. A large amount of the colonists, about one-third, were really unconcerned about this. They didn't really care much about the outcome of the war. They were indifferent. They could support either side of it. They were a little eh, nonchalant about it. Another third of them actually sympathize with Great Britain. What do we want to disturb all of this? It's not so good, not so bad. Well, let's just let Great Britain do this. You know, back off a little bit. In fact, some of you that know your history know that the loyalists were called Tories. The reason they were called Tories because that was the political group in Great Britain that adamantly supported the king. So that one-third said, don't go to war. We like Britain. They'll take care of us. And then you have the last third the remaining ones, those patriots are willing to give their life. Listen to these statistics. 7,200 Americans were killed in battle during the war. 8,200 were wounded. 10,000 died from disease and exposure. 3,000 men died at Valley Forge. And I might remind you that 400 men died at Bunker Hill when it all began. And an additional 6,500 died in prison after being captured. And there are still 1,400 of those men that are missing today. Now, what about those who signed the declaration? Those 56 guys. I won't go through all of them, just a few. They pledged, they made their declaration, but they're willing to pay the price. Of those, five men were captured by the British, and they were tortured until they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their own sons in the Revolutionary War. Another two sons of theirs were captured. Nine of the 56 actually fought in the war and died from their wounds and the hardship of war. 
Carter Braxton of Virginia, wealthy planner and trader, saw his ship sunk by the Navy, British Navy. He sold his home properties to pay his debt, and even after the war, he died bankrupt. At the Battle of Yorktown, the British General Cornwallis had taken over Thomas Nelson's home for his headquarters. So the British came in like to your home, took it over, your beautiful mountain home. And Nelson got word to George Washington quietly and he said, they're in there. Open fire on my own home and destroy it. His home was destroyed and Nelson too died in bankruptcy. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside as she was dying. You remember they had large families then, so 13 children fled for their lives with him. His fields were destroyed for over a year. He lived in forests and caves. Keep that in mind. Returning home only to find, of course, that his wife died. His children vanished. He never saw them again, and he died in total exhaustion. So they made their bold declaration, but they backed it up by an extreme sacrifice that they were willing to make. Don't feel guilty to celebrate tomorrow. These very men and women would want you and me to do nothing more than to celebrate tomorrow. But while we do that, I'm certain in their humble way, they would hope that we remember why we're celebrating this and for what it's all about. Well, here's the third principle, and that is they made their bold declaration They also are willing to pay the price, and I love this. They also will reap a great reward. Nobody who is willing to make the appropriate declaration on truth and then willing to back it up with their whole life will ever go unrewarded. As long as we don't define what that reward should be, as long as we don't define when that reward should come, we will get that reward. Well, let's go back. The war began on April 19, 1775. It ended officially in 1783, nearly two years after that great battle at Yorktown. 10,000 troops laid down their arms, British troops. Remember what I told you to remember a moment ago? Where do they find General Cornwallis of the British Army? Hiding in a cave. God has his way to make his truth known. The Americans made their bold declaration. They paid the price. And they reaped this with a great reward. And here's what I believe their great reward was. Their great reward was freedom and independence. And I don't think they did it just because they wanted another country to start with. But that's what it ended up. And how special that is today. I travel in many different countries. I've been in Myanmar. They don't have freedom there. I've been in Indonesia teaching and speaking there. They don't have it there. Three weeks ago, I returned from Mongolia. Some freedom, but not like we have it. I've been to China, inland China. They don't have their freedom there. The places that I have been, and I haven't been to very many, and I'm not trying to parade a a travel log in front of you. I'm trying to let you know we go there to reach these people for Christ and then to train others to be able to take it when we go. And... They don't have the freedom. And we have that freedom, and I'm so grateful that we do. So they do um, rejoice with the fact that they have this great privilege. Well, they made their declaration, they paid the price, and they, they got their reward. I'm on a stage here talking to you publicly without the threat of persecution. Yeah, we might have some folks come in and shoot me and all that kind of stuff, but that might be a little bit isolated. 
less so as the days approach us. But nonetheless, I have that freedom. Those men and women who spilt their blood, that they can look back at us today and they could say, that's what I was willing to do. And so now that we have this, it's something that we need to do something and use it for his glory. So what I'd like to do now is I want to end by giving you the three principles again, but I want to show you how that approaches Christianity, okay? Let me begin by talking about the bold declaration that we need to make, our own bold declaration as a Christian and how important that that would be. To do that, I want to give you a moment to tell you my own personal testimony. I do that because my testimony is really his story in my life, God's story in my life. I grew up in a home where we never had a Bible. We never said grace. We never prayed, never went to church. I was blessed by having a moral mom and dad to the point that they wanted me to be a moral man as I was growing up to have integrity. My dad would say, Stan, good boys go to heaven, bad boys go to hell. I can still hear his voice today. And then he would tell me, again, that I really wasn't good. I did not deserve to go to heaven. So truly, I guess in a way, that was a governor on my life because I grew up without smoking, drinking. I didn't fool around with girls. I didn't do drugs, although that was the time of life. But I can tell you, I was scared silly of dying. I got involved in the surfing culture in the early 60s. And so I spent a lot of times at the beach. And when you did surf and you had a wipeout, some of them were very, very terrible. My two front teeth that I have today are not my teeth. They were knocked out on a surfing accident, a wipeout we would call it. And so I was very much afraid of dying. I remember in my room one night and I finally had enough of this fear. And I, can, I cried to God and I said, oh God, I want to know what do I need to do to go to heaven? Whatever it is. Whatever it is, I will do this for the rest of my life because I don't want to go to hell. I think I would have been willing to walk on glass. I think I would have been willing to do anything he wanted me to do. I just want to know how to go to heaven. Little did I know that God was still working in my life as an unsaved person. And he had me go to a class called speech and debate in high school. I wanted to go to that class because I wanted to go into speaking and teaching and maybe radio and television, not as an actor, but more as an announcer or weather or news or something like that. So I took that class for that reason. I sat in the back because I liked looking out the window because I could see what the weather was like and maybe anticipate if it was windy, the waves would be up and I can go to the beach. The teacher saw that, so she then said, Stan, you're going to move over here. So she put me in the front of the room next to another student. This other student then started within just a matter of days. Hey, how would you like to go to a youth meeting? It's called Ranch. I said, what? She said, yeah, Ranch. I said, what do you do at Ranch? Now, this is going to date me. She said, it's, it's a hoot nanny. Now, you old folks know what a hoot nanny is. You young people says, what's a hoot and what and hoot, ha, hoot. And that's what it, she said. They sit around, they play guitars, and then we study our Bible. When I heard all of that, obviously, what would go through a guy's mind who never went to church, never uh, sit around, study the Bible. You must be social rejects, you know, just jerks in life. And you study that big family Bible that weighs about 25 pounds, you know. I, I don't want to go to that. And she said, well, okay, but I want you to know I got tickets to a championship football game between Miami High and Miami Coral Gables and the Miami Orange Bowl. And if you go with me to that youth meeting, I'll take you to the ball game. 
Now, I'm no dummy. This gal was absolutely gorgeous. It was Carol. And I thought, and she was an upperclassman, and I wasn't. And so what upperclassman girl would then want this geeky, nerdy nobody to go with them? So I just, this is great. Wherever you go, I'll go, you know. So I went, and I, you know, she came by the house, and she was smart. She wasn't doing this missionary dating, you know the words. She had her girlfriend named Lindy Yule come up, sit in the front seat of her car. And I thought, that's my seat. No, 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 Lindy Yule sits there. You sit in the back. So I'm in the back of a Corvair Monza. And I thought this was going to be a hot date. And now it looks like I'm a little boy getting carried off to some Bible study. Went to the football game. I don't remember who won. I do remember I did say to her, it's time to take me home. And she said, Stan... You uh, said, you promised you'd go with me to this youth thing. You got to go. And I guess that was the very first time I began as a real promise keeper. So I said, okay. So I went. And so as we went there, I knew something was wrong because as soon as we pulled into the parking lot, there was cars everywhere in this church parking lot. I thought, what is going on? We finally got into the room. The room was oh, maybe a third of the size of the sanctuary. And we walked in. The place was wall-to-wall teenagers carpeted all over the place. And uh, no chairs. There was too many kids for chairs. So they had them all down. So we scrunched down. And then I got a chance to hear what was going on. From one end of the room to the other were guitar players, very similar to the team that was here, but much more excited, vibrant, you know, music, things I haven't even heard before, just singing and having a good time. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Make it clear.